Well, good morning, All Seasons. It's so good to see you today in the house of the Lord. I want to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. Um, all the work that you do and all the time that you spend and sacrifices. And in this modern world, it's not the coolest job there is. It, most TV shows, everything from the show's friends and others through the past, it's all about not being responsible and being the more bigger the idiot you are, the more popular you are. And in this day and age of just simply being responsible, of getting up each day and being responsible for others' lives, that's huge. In fact, this morning I want to talk a little bit about that. So I just want to say thank you to all of you dads who get up every day, who work very hard to make sure that your family gets the very best that they can have. So this morning... Um, I want to go to deal with this understanding. Um, I've entitled this sermon this morning, not just knowing who you are, but identity. Understanding identity. I've said this all the time, and, and I mean it very uh, emphatically, that mothers are nurturers. Mothers are incredible uh, people that God have made half of the part of raising children. They create the love, the environment, the home. They, they provide so much of the safety, so much of the nurturing that takes place inside of that, the watching over. They are the communication piece because kids are going to go talk to their mom if they get hurt, they run into mom. It's, it's so much that they provide. Listen to me very carefully. Your identity comes from your father. Your identity comes from your dad. That's, that's who you will be. Mothers do an incredible job, but it's amazing as children reach 15, 16, 17, 18, how moms eventually look up and they say, look, I can't do nothing with them. It's because by that time there has to be an identity that they're either searching for, looking for, or have found. And I know that's not popular in our society. In fact, as I deal with this this morning, I know society's looking for answers for all of its problems. It's gun problems. It's, it's adolescent problems. It's shooting problems. It's, it's, it's robbery problems. It's societal problems. I've got an easy answer. It's not, a, it's not complicated. In fact, this morning, I will give you an answer. It will not be on the 6 o'clock news, and no government will pass a law, and there will be nothing done to make this work because it does not fit the society in which we live. It does not fit the agenda that we want. It does not fit the feminist mindset, the metro male mindset, the whatever they come up with, skinny jeans guy now type mentality. It does not fit in our modern society. So therefore, it will not be something pushed. It will not be promoted. You will probably only hear it this morning and it will die out. But hopefully just for a moment, you will hear it. Understanding identity understanding where your identity comes from and how to achieve the identity you want. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 will be our main scripture. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, as you turn there, one of the key factors of Jesus' success in his life was the understanding of his identity. It was the understanding of who he was is what gave him the power to move forward. 
In fact, even at the age of 12, do you remember the story? At the age of 12, he is where? He is in Jerusalem. It's his first trip. And his mother and father, Joseph and Mary, have already started back and did not realize that he was not in the group. They rush back to Jerusalem. They find him eventually three days. They find him, and where do they find him? In the temple, teaching, asking questions, answering questions, and, and just having a, a time doing And they come to him, and they say, why have you done this? What, what if, what, why did you do this? What, what are you? And what does he say? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? At 12 years old, what makes him unique is his identity. He does not have an identity crisis. He's not struggling with who he is. He understands that I am the son of God. It goes through all the history of Jesus on earth. It is the whole debate. It is the whole fight. In 1 Peter, we read this but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, this morning you don't have an identity crisis. I can tell you exactly who you are. If you are not in Christ this morning, then you are living your life in darkness. No identity, no future, no destination, no purpose, just simply whatever pulls at you hardest next. If you're in the dark and you don't know where you're going, whatever bumps you is what bumps you and moves you. But in the light, you don't have that problem. In the light, you know what to avoid. In the light, you know where to step. You know what not to step on. And Jesus, through Paul, speaks it this way. The apostle Paul anointedly speaks. He said, listen, I want to give you your identity. Here's who you are. You are a chosen generation. You were not born at the wrong time, at the wrong season. You were not born the wrong color, the wrong shape. You were not born in some misstep, and your parents didn't have a mistake. You are a chosen generation. You were born for a purpose. You were born at a certain time and I've put you here because I ordained that you would be here. You're alive today because I gave you life and I give you breath right now. Your heart beats because I choose for it to beat. So get your head up out of the dust and get your head raised high and realize that you are not just here. You are chosen to be here at this very moment. He said, not only are you a chosen generation, but you are a royal priesthood. You are not only people that are belong to be in this world, but you have a purpose in this world. You are a, a person of priesthood, which means that you are a bridge builder. You are someone designed to put together God and those that are in darkness. You are a bridge builder between the lost and those that have been found. You are a priesthood to represent Christ on this earth. How you walk and how you talk and how you carry yourself tells them that you are not from this world. You are aliens simply passing through. I've said this a million times. When somebody says, we, we want to find aliens, I say, oh, you got to do is look at me. If you want to see an alien, just look at me because I'm not of this world. I'm just passing through. My home is not here. My home is heaven. And one day I'm going back to it. I hope you get to see it one day, but I know this much. I'm not stuck here. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
how we walk and how we care. Well, we don't act like everybody else. We don't talk like everybody else. We don't go to the same stuff. We don't listen to the same music. We don't tell the same jokes. I'm sorry, but I, since I'm not of this world, since I already have an occupation, I'm going to be a little different than you. I'm not supposed to fit in. His own special people. You have a family. Yeah, but you don't know about my, my family. It doesn't matter. You have a family greater than your family. So your mistake is, is you think your mom and dad created you. That's the biggest mistake you've ever been told. Whose kid are you? Well, I'm so and so and so. No, you're not. The Bible says children are given by the Lord. They are a blessing given by God. The only reason you're here is because God ordained that it would work that time. That God ordained that you would get pregnant, that you would have a child. God ordained. Your creator was not your mom and dad. Your creator was not a test tube somewhere. Your creator was God. And he created you for what purpose? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you then out of darkness into this marvelous light. So how do I know, Brother Lot, I've got this, I understand this, is that what ought to come out of your mouth 90% of the time is praise. I'm not going to say 100% of the time because sometimes things bump us. And just for a moment, it's like, oh, man. And then I have to remind myself, oh, it's all good. Somebody had asked me out in the hallway just a while ago, how's it going? I said, going good. I said, my aunt passed away. I've got to go do a funeral Saturday, uh, Tuesday. She said, oh, I'm sorry, and, 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 and I hope they were saved. I said, oh, they, they saved. I said, we all good. We all good. It bumped me for a moment, but then quickly I realized, I'll see my Aunt Reba again. Lord, why quit crying. She's home. You're headed home. Sing the praises of God. Sing how good God is. He didn't leave us here. Sing the praises of the mighty God who created us, called us, placed us, gave us our occupation, and has prepared a home for us. Praise him. That's what Peter describes. In, in Matthew 4, 1-11, Satan tries desperately to test Jesus on this understanding. He comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, listen, everything, every battle you'll ever face in your life will be an identity crisis. Every battle that you ever face will be an identity crisis. Or maybe I don't belong. Maybe they don't love me. Maybe when you don't know your identity, then that is the doorway for the enemy to speak. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, it was an identity crisis. Does God really love you? Is God holding out on you? Did God really say that? Anytime you doubt your identity is when you will have problems in your life. Jesus quickly answered Satan, I know who I am, but I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. Later in the Bible, we read that in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, Jesus asked the disciples, I love this, go with me to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. 
to tell you how identity works. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? I love that. He doesn't just say, who do y'all think I am? He said, who does other people think that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I, and I also say unto you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What we get caught up in is the mindset that Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. But do you catch the fact that when Peter speaks, thou art the Son of God, in one scripture, it speaks it this way. You have well said. So Jesus is saying, you got it right. That's exactly who I am. That, that's exactly who you're talking to. There was no identity crisis. And because there was no identity crisis, he could never fail. There was no doorway for him to fail. Even standing before Pilate later, when Pilate says, do you not know I have the power to kill you? Jesus looks and says, whoa, you have no power except that which my father hath given you. Just understand the only reason I'm here is because he wants me here. Even on the cross, he still identifies himself as who he is. Lord, forgive them. All the words he speaks, speaks to his identity. Before his death, he tells his disciples that I will die, but don't worry, I will come again. I will, within three days, rebuild this temple. Why? Because he knew his identity. What you're struggling with this morning in whatever area of your life is because you don't have an identity fully situated at that point. Some of you worry about your kids. Why? Has not the Bible says you raise them in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not. See, if you, don't have, if you don't have the right identity, if you can't walk up to God and come boldly to the throne room and say, Father, now I have done exactly what you've asked me to do. I know my identity. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I, I, I'm going to sing your praises because that which I have done, I have already established. It can't change. The enemy is always going to attack you. Look at the person beside you. He's going to attack you in your identity. And whatever area you say, I struggle in my identity, that's the place the enemy will attack your life. Let me put it to you this way. Why do we need to know who we are? Let me give you a few pointers. To have a strong foundation to build your life on. You can't build a solid life without that foundation of who you are. To have a great revelation of the power of God that is available to us. To help live our life as God intended and fulfill our destinies. To help us build a stronger faith in God. Romans 8 and, and, and in 14 
says this, to, to remove fear of the future. You can't remove fear, you can't operate unless you know your identity. To have a clean conscience, says Hebrews 9 and 14. You're going to always be looking back. Well, maybe, it's, maybe I've done, maybe. No. To know that our sins are forgiven, says Hebrews 10 and 1. Are you a sinner, pastor? No. If you would walk up to God right now and say, is Tim Lott a sinner? I got no record of any sins. None. That's my identity. Do you know your identity? To have peace with God, says Romans 5 and 1. To remove negative thoughts about our past, says 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Now, how does this work in, in, in our society? This is who we should be. To understand this is to realize that we have a father and on Father's Day, understanding that that father who gives you your identity, how important is he is. I told you I could cure most of the ills in our society, but it'll never happen. Let me explain. I'm going to give you some statistics. And just imagine if these statistics were not around. Just imagine if tomorrow we cured what I'm fixing to tell you. Imagine how our society would be different. There is a father absence crisis in America. About... According to the Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in every four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. One out of every four facing America today. The father absence in society, listen to me, has a four times greater risk if the father is not in the home of having poverty. You want to cure the poverty issue? Put a mother and father in a home. Four times, if we could cut four times the poverty out of our society, you think we'd have more money? How about this one? Behavioral problems, two times less behavioral problems. It's two times greater risk of infant mortality if you want to have healthy babies. Not, not as many deaths if you want to cure the NICU. My son is going to be working in the NICU. If I said, son, how do we cure the NICU? Very simple, son. You just need to put fathers and mothers back together. And you know what? Two times the kids that are normally born uh, unhealthy and this would be gone. I'm just telling you the statistics. This is not Christian statistics. This is just, la just normal stuff. Two times more likely to drop out of high school. Do you like educated kids? They're trying to cure that problem. How do we educate our kids? Put fathers and mothers back in a home. Child obesity. We need to change their lunch program. We did, no, no. A child without a father in the home is two times more likely to suffer from obesity. Think about that. You cure, you cure fat kids. You want to cure that? Put fathers back in the home. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you the facts. They're more likely to face abuse seven times. You want to cure the pregnancy problem? You want to close down pregnancy centers and abortion clinics? I got a cure for you. It's seven times more likely if a father's not in a home that a teenager will become pregnant. Seven times if there's not a father. No. If there's somebody sitting there cleaning his gun when Leroy comes over to pick up your girl, it's a much higher risk, less risk of somebody getting pregnant. Son, you taking out my daughter tonight? Yeah, just know. 
you got to bring her home, and she better come home in the same shape she left, or you won't. Yes, sir. You're not going to see this on the 6 o'clock. This is just statistics that everybody in Congress knows. This is statistics that every governor knows, that every social worker knows. But it doesn't fit our society. How are you going to have skinny jean running around, friends mentality, not getting married, Coors Light, let's go to the beach mentality. People, if you got to have dads who get up and go to work, who help pay the bills, who stand in the gap for their family, how are you going to have that? Mm. I could go through hundreds, hundreds. 92% of parents in prison are fathers. Let me just give it to you straight on some of the main ones. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 63% of kids that commit suicide come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorder are from fatherless homes, 20 times the national average. 80% of all rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the national average. 70% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the national average. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to make A's in school. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. You want to close down all these clinics and rehab centers and all this kind of stuff? Let me tell you how you do it. You just put fathers back in the home. We spend billions. We need to rehab them. No, they ain't going to help them. They don't have a father. They still are going to leave without an identity. We have a society that drive by and shoot people because they have no identity. We have a society that raids and rampages because we have no identity. And I'm going to say something that's going to be very controversial. I don't really care. This George Floyd thing makes me sick. And let me make it very clear. What happened, I hope that cop never sees the light of day for the rest of his life. Let me make that very clear. Hope he dies in prison and never sees the light of day. But taking someone who was on drugs, a drug seller, are you, you going to bring all the kids that he sold drugs to? Are you going to bring all the people that he, his life messed up and you're going to make a monument about him? Is that your hero of today? We've gone from Martin Luther King to George Floyd. That's, that's our hero now. Does, does that make any sense to anybody? Fatherless, not taking care of anything. George Floyd, that's our hero now. We better pick some better fathers. We better pick some better representatives. We better pick some better role models for our lives. 
And let me make that very clear. I'm not saying in any way condoning anything. But I'm telling you, you better pick the right people to be your representative who you're going to, you better not pick what society looks at and tells you it's okay. And as far as Gump would say, that's all I'm going to say about that. We better get to the mindset we realize we need healthy fathers, healthy men, healthy role models in the lives of our children. Because that is the ill of our society that we're not touching and we're not curing. And you can keep housing moms with children all you want. And you can create all the rehab centers you want. And you can create all the homeless shelters you want. But until you go back and what God said, I, for this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. And then what is God going to do? I'm going to bless it with children. Until we get back to that. We're going to continue to have the eels and we can throw as much money at our society as we want. Seventy percent of youths in state-operated institution comes from fatherless homes. Eighty-five percent of all youths in prison today come from fatherless homes. Eighty-five percent. We can't build jails fast enough. You can tell you why? Because there's no fathers. There's no fathers. And the enemy says every day, hey, leave the home. Quit the marriage. Do your own thing. I know men. In our society today, I know it's, that's, the, that's the new norm. Give up. Quit. Nobody else is doing it. All your other buddies, they done found their third wife. She's better looking than the first one. That's what you need. As they say years ago, trade your 40 in for 220s. But that ain't going to help life. Some of the craziest things I hear, you know the kids, it'll do the kids better. If we're, No, no, let me show you. If I had time, I'd tell you the statistics that no child comes out better because you decide one day I want to be by myself. I'm tired of going to work and paying the bill. I'm tired of giving my check. I'm tired of being a man. I'm tired. No. It's a thankless job, guys. It's a tough job. It's not made for wimps or TV commercials. But it is the greatest job that this world has, is being a father. It is the most difficult that you'll ever choose. But it is the most rewarding that you will ever have. Go with me now to Ephesians 5, verses 13 through 33. That's why God, even in our society today, we're trying to say, well, God is neither male nor female. No, God is not. He's a spirit. But God, when he identifies himself, identifies himself as he has chosen to, as a father. He's chosen to represent himself as a father. Why? Because of the roles that he has distinguished so that it makes it easy for us to understand our roles. Let me show you. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 13. But all these things are exposed, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is 
So what I just shared with you, all these statistics, these are not things that nobody can't pull up. If you want to go home today, pull up the internet, statistics on fatherless homes. Just pull it up and just start reading. You'll hear the same stuff. It's not nothing new. It's nothing hid. Google hasn't blocked it yet. They probably will before long because it it won't fit the society we want. But as of right now, you can find the statistics. So, But all things that are exposed are made manifest because of light. So light comes along and says, this is the truth. Verse 14, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. You can't find it on your own. I'd like to be able to print all this and give it to my congressman and my governor and say, hey, wake up. But they're going to smile and they're going to say, we're working on this. I've noticed all this same stuff, Pastor Lot, and I'm telling you, we are working on it. Here's the only problem. Go back to the next last verse. Therefore, awake, arise not only from being asleep, but from being dead. The only problem is there's only one way you can do it, and that is to allow Christ to do it in you. See, we can pass all the laws, but without Christ, you don't wake anybody up. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So what would be foolish? Create more prisons, more rehab centers, more this, more that. Give more tutors to kids at school who... We just need more money. You ever ever hear hear that phrase? Every problem with every institution we have, every problem with every group we have, any government program, anything, you know what the problem is? We just ain't got enough money. No, you got a broke philosophy. It won't work. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's amazing because out of all of this, you would think that, whoa, he's getting, I mean, he's talking about some heavy stuff. But listen to what he says. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay. So he talks about all this. Light. Destroys darkness. Understand. Don't be why. Wake up. Choose Christ. And what do you think he's fixed to talk about? Don't be dumb. Be wise. I wonder what he's going to talk about. Well, let's see. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spirituals, all singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things, God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter I just read to you. Next verse. Wives, submit your own, to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Wow. Don't get drunk. Praise the Lord. And he says, let me help fix your problem. Wives, Learn to be submissive unto your own husbands. Well, that's, that's easy for you to say, Brother Lot. For the husband is the head of the wife. 
He's the head of the what? Wife. See, if you mess up the father role with God, you're going to mess up the father role in your own home. If he's not your father, Lord, leader, guide, then you'll foul up your own house. You'll start thinking that your relationship with God, just like you decide every week whether you want to listen or don't want to listen, like to do or don't want to do, you'll think that's the same relationship you have in your home. And you'll mess it up. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. You want a healthy home? then you have to have the healthy relationship between the husband and the wife. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, remember, so if we mess up the church world, we mess up our... So if you don't listen to God in the church, you're going to have a hard time listening to your husband at the... So just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in... How much? Everything. If he tells you to hush, then you know what you are supposed to do? Hush. Happy Father's Day. That's what y'all wanted to celebrate today, wasn't it? Father's Day. Y'all was all getting cards and presents, wanting to take us to lunch today. How about just doing what we tell you? That's the best start you'll ever have on Father's Day. Just do what we tell you to do. Pastor Lot, you, man, you're tough. Oh, it gets better. Therefore, just as husbands, in all of this, it sounds like I'm, I'm just being horrible. But listen to me. The only reason you can be subject the only reason subject does not mean slavery. To be submissive is a choice. It's not slavery. I'm not telling you wives, be a slave. I said be submissive. Submit. That's a choice. The only reason you've made that choice is because of this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself so if you've got a deadbeat, don't bring any money home. Rather ride his motorcycle than spend time with his kids, do whatever. If you've got that kind of husband, I'm telling you, you've got all the reason in the world to chew his hide. Don't let up on him. Because he's sorry and he's no good and he's a deadbeat. His whole job, and when he chose you, was to look at you and say, baby, I'm going to die. I'm going to kill myself trying to make you happy. And if you got any age on you, you know you actually did that. Yep. You are dying. But that's okay. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27. 
that he might present her to who? Himself. That he might present her to himself. A glorious church. There's no greater joy for a guy than to know that he has a wonderful family. He will die for that wonderful family. He will gladly give his life. That's what he's chose to do. Hey, I, I love you guys, and I'm going to... And, and, and all of that's part of it. That he might present her a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and what? And the two shall become... What does one look like? One looks like this. Jesus, the Father, is head of all. The husband is the head of the home. The wife is submissive to the father who is in love with God the father who is following being the husband he needs to be and has a purpose and a plan for that home. He creates a healthy environment through what he says by washing them with the word. Don't do that. Let me tell you the worst thing you can be, woman, women in this, in this congregation, ladies, is contentious. Of all the things you'll ever be in our society, this has become popular. Smart-mouthed women. Sounds great. But let me give you some advice. The one thing that men hate the most is a contentious wife. In fact, the Bible in Proverbs makes it very clear. A man would rather live on the rooftop of his own house than to have to live one minute in a room with you being contentious. Contentious just means this, that you're argumentative about everything that he tries to promote. If he says, let's go here, oh, let's not, we, we don't want to go, we don't, I, I, fine, let's just go wherever you want, whatever you want. Now, I know none of y'all's homes are like that, mine's not, but I'm just saying there are people in this world. <laughs> and I can fix 90% of most marital problems just by what I'm teaching right here. Just hush. If he says, let's go eat at McDonald's, you just learn to find something on the menu at McDonald's you like to eat. There may come a time once he realizes that you're not contentious, he may look at you and just say, hey, babe, where do you want to eat? And then don't look at him and say, it don't matter. No, you better at that moment, you better have somebody because they'll kick him off too. You better say, let's go to Olive Garden. And he may go, all right, we'll go to Olive Garden. But if you criticize everything he ever brings up, then you're treating him just like you treat Jesus at church. Because what I'm preaching to you right now is the gospel. So if you're sitting in here saying, well, I ain't doing what Pastor Lot's saying, you're not saying it to me, you're saying it to God. You're arguing with God saying, I, ain't, I don't care what he said, I ain't listening to him, I ain't going to do that stuff. So Christ ain't head of you as a church. 
So you sure ain't going to be very good at being under somebody at home. Happy Father's Day. Well, Pastor, like you're asking a lot. I am, of both of you. Because I'm asking that man to love them so much that he's willing to die. To die to keep that family moving forward. You can't quit. You can't bail out. You can't go get drunk when you want to. Remember sermon scriptures before? Don't be drunk with excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. When you feel like bailing out, don't go grab a Budweiser. You better go grab some Holy Ghost. You better find you a prayer closet. You better say, God, I need some more Spirit. Because these kids are about to drive me crazy. But when the two work together, it is the most powerful thing this earth has to see. When it doesn't, all the statistics I'm showing you is the result. And, and I'll be honest with you, we've come so far that it's hard even to preach this scripture in church without people like, isn't it? I mean, I'm just quoting the scripture. I'm not even telling you nothing. Like, I'm like, here's what I think. I'm just telling you, this is what scripture says. And you're having a hard time with that. We've come so far from it, and we wonder why we have the ills we have in our homes and the ills we have in our society, and the ills is because there's a role for all of us to play. For this reason, a man, a man shall leave his father and mother. Listen to me, young men. Stay at home as long as you can. You eat those free peas and cornbread. You let mama make up your bed. You let mama iron your clothes. You let mama take care of your stuff. You stay there as long, I mean, as long as you can stand it. Now, what will push you out the door is this. Is that you and your dad will eventually want to run the same house. And that's when he's going to push you out the door. But that's okay. That's when you start praying, Lord, find me a woman. Because I don't want to live alone. For this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become. This is a great mystery. Isn't it? This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. He says, let me sum it up. Every man in this room, love your wife like you love yourself. Love them as much, if not more, than you love yourself. And let wives see that they respect their husbands. Everything you do, do with respect. Don't tell the friends around you oh, that moron of a husband I got that lame brain don't do that respect him husbands be respectable be something that somebody would look at and say I want to be the very best I can be why do you say all this because God describes himself as a father let me give you just real quickly as I close the characteristics a glimpse of the character that, a, that the heavenly father has 
and the earthly father. And I know that some of you in this room, well, Brother Lot, I didn't grow up with a father, but you have one. God is your father. Quit using the excuse of, of your past fathers or fathers that weren't in your life. I can't fix all of that, but you were not left alone. You have an example. His name is God the Father. Because there's going to be areas that you're going to find that even your own earthly fathers didn't get it right. And you're going to have to then go back to the heavenly father and say, my dad didn't do it like you, God. So I'm going to do it the way you do it versus my dad. You're always going to have to improve on the product. Number one, he is a source of life. Earthly fathers and heavenly fathers, here's, here's, statistics, here's the things that you have to focus on. Number one, you have to decide that I'm going to be the source of life. Our heavenly father is the ultimate source. He gives us our very breath. But in the home, fathers have to decide that, you know what, the source of life, the source of who we are, the source is coming from me. Fathers have an important part of, in, of contributing in the life of their children. As you lead your kids, help them recognize how their heavenly father is the source of real life. Go to zoos. Speak about them. Show them through life. I'm going to tell you the greatest way my father ever taught it to me was raising dogs. Raising dogs was was. I know people don't do a lot of that anymore, but man, you always had mutts around and under your house and growing up, it was just dogs. And in my life, I found out the source of life. It, I had a dog named Ruff and she was, she was part bulldog and, and she was my protector. She, was, she would sit down on the ground next to where I was playing. Nothing got near me. And she had puppies. And when my parents weren't around, in my mind, I thought, those puppies are dirty. They're sitting there on the dirt. They've still got stuff on them, you know, from when they birthed and all this. And I thought, they need to be clean. So when my parents weren't around, I thought I was going to do something good. And I washed every one of them puppies. I drowned five of the six. I was just a kid. The other one finally died, shivering cold. And I remember my father at first had that look on his face like, oh. and then we had a long talk about life. And my responsibility to keep things alive. It was my first time to fail at being responsible at life. I was young. I was supposed to fail. Anybody ever kill a goldfish? <laughs> See, the thing is now we try to protect our children from life. We don't want them to understand life and life. And then one day we just drop them off and say, oh, you're responsible. As I grew up, I realized the value of being responsible, being the source of life. When my son finally came home for the first time, you have to understand, I understood the value and the power of that moment. 
So much so that when, when Taylor was born, I would put a pillow on my lap and I would just lay him on the pillow. I didn't want to hold him. I didn't want to break him. To this day, I still don't want to hold people's kids because I realize that if I hold them in my hands, I'm a source of their life. If I drop them, if something happened, you ever see a kid want to hold another kid? It's dangerous, isn't it? Well, let me hold the baby. And they just grab it and the head's flopping like this. And you're like, oh, you got to put the hand under the bed. And you gotta... It's because they haven't learned the value of being the source of life. One of the roles of a father is to understand the value of life. And to pass that on. And to be responsible for it in your kid's life. doesn't mean you're liked all the time. It means you're responsible. Do you realize that God sees himself every day of your life as responsible for your life? I, don't, I can't imagine God. I have problems with just what I have. I can't imagine God looking down at every person who pulls away from him, every person who's fighting him, every person. And he says, I am the source of every one of their lives. I'm holding them together. I'm protecting them. I'm watching over them. Number one, fathers, you have to realize and grow in the understanding that you're the source of their lives, your family's life. You're it. When you look at your children, you have to realize, I'm it. Number two, our heavenly father and our earthly fathers have to lovingly then correct us. Because you realize the value of things children don't and you realize the value of things and how important things are and how dangerous things are, you also then become responsible for the correction. I don't like correcting, but it's necessity. I do it out of love because I realize the dangers. I realize what could happen and what could take place. And I realize that that's part of the role. In Hebrews 12, uh, 3 through 11, it speaks about this, that, that as a true father, God's discipline and correction are always done out of love. It's never done out of his convenience. It's done out of love. Number three, heavenly father and earthly fathers, listen to me. You must provide for the needs not only must you realize the responsibility of their life, not only must you correct them as they veer here and there, but you must also provide for the needs of your family. Number four, just like the Heavenly Father, He gives us wisdom. It is in those moments, I love how the video said it best and it was going through that it wasn't them sitting there having this lecture about life. It was them walking, fishing. It was them sitting there talking while doing homework. It was playing games. It was in the course of life you taught them wisdom. Greatest conversation me and my father ever had was at a pickup truck. And he began to share with me how he had in his earlier years made mistakes. And it wasn't so much what he said, but here was this man that, that I thought was invincible, that was tough as nails, that was... And I'm watching this 245-pound man with tears coming down his eyes. 
19-inch neck. And I'm watching him cry. He's looking at me and saying, Son, I hope you never have to experience what I did. And it was one of the most life-changing moments because it was a moment where he just shared his wisdom. He couldn't make me do it or not do it. That was up to me. But it was in that moment of him sharing. He was responsible. He didn't want to. It wasn't comfortable to bring up past things and talk about things, but it was his responsibility to tell Tim, let me share with you some things I've learned. Number five, as the heavenly father... And as an earthly father, he always welcomes us back. He always welcomes us back. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. One of the greatest traits we'll ever teach our kids is that we as fathers never give up on you. Oh, we may get mad. We may want to stomp a hole in you sometimes. But we never give up on you. And just like a father, our heavenly father, when they come and they say, Dad, I'm sorry. See, our society is different. They want us to apologize for their miserable life. I'm not telling you to do that, Dad's. I'm telling you to stand there. And when their heart is when a point and they say, I'm sorry. Don't look at them and say, I told you so. Don't criticize or beat them up. But like the prodigal son's father, you always welcome them back. That's what a dad does. That's what Father's Day is about. And if we could ever cure that in our society, we could shut down a lot of government, all types of programs that would not be necessary anymore. I wish I could say that this is going to hit the Internet and be the most popular sermon in society and men are going to pass three laws next week in Congress. Probably not. But maybe one person or two fathers or one family in this church gets it. And it saves me a whole lot of counseling 10 years from now. Maybe it saves you a lot of pain as a family a few years from now. Some of you ladies that says, well, I don't have a husband. That's fine. There's tons of men in this church. You get them involved. This last week I saw a lot of fatherless boys in cabins with other men, doing guy things and boy things. Yeah, it was difficult. It wasn't comfortable. But you know what? It's the greatest time of their life. There's ways. Don't look for the excuse. Look for the way. Get that man involved. Get that church group, that, that group of men involved in those kids' lives. Because they will be the ones that speak the identity to that child. You can love them. And they'll always know they're loved. But their identity will come from their father and from their fathers. Always. Will you stand?
Is it all right this morning if I just pray over you? Father, I pray for every father in this country. Pray for every man, every father in this room. I pray for every young man that one day wants to be a father. It is the greatest experience that there is other than meeting the the person you marry and you live with the rest of your life. It is the greatest experience. But Lord, our society wants experiences without responsibility. They want to have dads without having fathers. Lord, will you raise up a generation of men who have a biblical understanding of serving and loving you more than they love anything else so that that wife that you put with them, that children you put under them, that they will be raised in a home that will have a direction to where that wife will look and say, I will gladly follow you because I know that whatever you're choosing is never to hurt us, but it's always to make us better. So that those children, even as they fuss and they complain along the journey, will one day rise up and realize that, boy, my dad got smart all of a sudden. Because God, they realize that he was leading them in the right way. Father, I pray for every man in this room today. I pray blessings upon them because this is not an easy job in our society with cell phones and all the stuff that they can see and watch and be a part of and all the connections people can make. It is a dangerous world to be a dad. But I speak blessings. I speak discernment. I speak insight. I speak wisdom. God, blessings upon every one of them to be what they can't be within themselves, but with you, they can accomplish it. Give them strength. Give them rest. Let them be encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Go give that devil fits.